we have spent the past two years creating a series of episodes for our passion project. Now we've tried everything we could think of to get some kind of financial support before we launched. And nothing has worked. So here we are. We've got eight episodes ready of what will be the first season of our series called The Remarkable Ones. And now it's time to launch. It's time to start putting the episodes out there and to see what kind of noise we can make. We've got these eight episodes, which are gonna roll out over the next four months. And that's our runway to try and attract enough financial support that season two becomes possible. In other words, we're jumping off a cliff and we're trying to build the plane on the way down. This is Chasing Remarkable, and it follows the journey of a small studio trying to bring their passion project to the world in a way that's sustainable. In the last episode of Chasing Remarkable, I ended with a nod to Shane Hurlbut, ASC, who started out as a humble farm boy near Cayuga Lake and rose to become a cinematographer who's worked on classic Hollywood movies. But it wasn't just his incredible drive to be excellent that landed him there. When I interviewed Shane for his episode of The Remarkable Ones, he emphasized how his commitment to his family and professional relationships were so essential to his success. So for this episode of Chasing Remarkable, I thought we'd talk about just how vital it is that we as storytellers have a mutually beneficial relationship with our community. We'll talk to Ivy, who's in charge of community success here at Muse. We'll bring her in to break it all down for us and tell us just what's at stake for Muse if a connection can't be forged between the remarkable ones and our audience. Then we'll talk to three filmmakers, three members of the Muse community, who are all at different stages of bringing their own content to life. But before we get into all of that, let's take another look at the numbers behind The Remarkable Ones. The last episode we launched was Chris Darwin, and we continue to send out tons of emails to different media contacts and uh, anybody else who might be interested in sharing the episode. While we're getting some response inside the filmmaking community, we really haven't landed any significant contacts in more of the mainstream media, the kind of contacts who could get us hundreds of thousands, if not millions of views just by sharing it. What we are seeing is that, again, Facebook continues to be the best channel to get the content out there. The Chris Darwin episode is at nearly 30,000 views with 150 shares and some really positive responses. As we think about community, one of the big things we've been developing is a TRO advocate program. And so basically, it's a way for people to sign up to really help us get the series out there. It's a way to leverage our community to really forge real relationships and connections with people who believe in our series and want to support us in bringing it out. And so we have three TRO advocates. You can go to our website, you can check out their bios. And and so to really kind of learn more about that program and how community fits into bringing your projects to life, I'm going to bring in an expert. And that's Ivy, who's a formally trained anthropologist. Her life is about people and the connections and culture between them. Let's dive into that conversation. Okay, so what's the simplest if we're going to spend all this time talking about community and how you can embrace community and how it is probably one of your most cost-effective ways to actually grow your brand, your presence, your influence, your ability to create impact in whatever you're creating, we really need to make sure we get it. So what is the simplest definition of community? It's a group of people with a shared common interest or value uh, working together around that thing. It's got to be that you have a space to communicate and that you have a place to engage and that you have this mutual interest that you connect on. The mutual interest isn't enough if you don't have a space to connect. So there's there's both the shared interest, but then also a communication or an engagement. And so in some ways, a lot of people could misuse the word community if they're just blogging and putting things out there. And then people are commenting because that's almost just like a one-way conversation. Yeah. Right? It's got to be symbiotic. It's got to be that there's mutual value there. What then, what what do you see as the connection between community and story? I see that stories are one of the biggest ways you can build community. You know, stories really are, they, they, they are in the simplest form an experience, a human lived experience. And what you find is that stories ripple out through communities. Right. And so there's also that connection. So when we share Jason Zook, it ripples out through communities that are 
connected to his lived experience. Mm -hmm. And so I think so much of, and, and, you know, this isn't just philosophical, (laughs) you know, it's really important that you, you get this idea because that's how you actually get traction with your content. You're actually thinking about what is the actual experience inside of my content. And then what are the communities that are actually going to rally around that? I think it's largely about showing up, um, being vulnerable and having people trust you. You can't just jump in every time you want to sell something or bring attention to something and expect people to trust you and feel like you aren't using them. You've got to be consistent. You've got to be showing up. You've got to be sharing what they're sharing. You have to be interested, genuinely, authentically interested in what they're interested in. And it doesn't form overnight. It's not going to happen just because you one time said something nice to someone else. It's got to be you're in the trenches. You're sharing your stuff. You're being open. You're putting yourself on the line. Because I'm relatively new to Muse, I've only been here since January, and I'm sort of bringing my unique experience to this forum and more of an online space, but I'm really curious what you guys have done in the past as the Muse team and as Still Motion um, to try and build community around content. Probably our best example of embracing community and having that actually create a significant impact on something we were doing would be uh, Stand With Me, our first original documentary, um, story of a nine-year-old girl using lemonade to fight one of the world's darkest evils. And We decided that we were going to take that film across 30 cities, roughly, and use uh, Tug.com as like a crowd-tipping model, right? So they're going to supply the theaters. You could buy tickets online. Uh, We don't have a million-dollar ad budget like, you know, um, any Hollywood movie would have to put up billboards and TV commercials and other things to drive people to the theaters. We've only got one showtime per city on one day. So we've got a lot stacked up against us that, like, how are you even going to hear about that? And while we might have, you know, a a reasonable-sized community ourselves that we could reach out to and tell them about that, you know, that at best is going to get us 10 to 20 people in a movie theater across the country. So we were looking at how we could use uh, and embrace community as a way of getting people to actually join us in the theaters. And so what we did was uh, called a street team. And so in every city where we had a premiere, we uh, invited volunteers to actually be part of helping us promote the story and the idea. Uh, and we were inviting people to really kind of come inside on the, the filmmaking process and then the process of how we actually bring this out to the world. And I think we got 25 to 35 um, street team members. So, you know, over 30 volunteers. Um, and then we would supply them with posters and media packs and um, missions that they would do. And we would ask them to take photos of, you know, so they'd go and put posters up in a coffee shop that might serve fair trade. And therefore, their customers would be interested in maybe seeing the movie. And they'd take photos and they'd post it and share it. Um, And so across a ton of, you know, these cities, we'd have people literally on on the street spreading the message into smaller and and connected um, communities, groups, businesses that could be interested in uh, coming to one of the screenings. Mm-hmm. And they were talking to people, right? Not just putting up a poster and walking away. Yes. I, I, I think that they were, you know, this is five years ago. So um, the, the strategy was definitely a little bit more offline, but it was, you know, Facebook groups, going to groups, sharing mm-hmm. posters, having conversations, even if you're putting a poster up. Mm-hmm. It's conversations with people in that space, in the the coffee shop owner about what this is, Mm -hmm. right? Like you're creating a community inside of everything else around what this movie, in that case, stand with me and understanding the sourcing of your project, your understanding the sourcing of your products, um, and more so just telling stories that matter, like telling stories and creating films that can actually make a difference. And that's probably the actual interest Mm -hmm. that that, um, the street team members rallied around was they all wanted to tell their own stories that could affect positive change. And here was a chance to be a part of one that we were doing and actually be a part of the change and the impact we were trying to have. And so that's that common interest that we got people really engaged on. It really wasn't slavery. Well, we had people who were more or less engaged on that issue, as we all were. You know, it was actually about the storytelling to drive change. Mm -hmm. And people are still talking about that. I just had a call this morning with someone who mentioned that film and how it had impacted them and how they had heard about it um, through some bi-channel like that, not directly from us. 
So we're at a point where we are trying to grow the viewership of The Remarkable Ones. We want more people to see it. The more people that see it, the more uh, opportunity we have with sponsors and the more season two becomes possible. And so that really brings us to community. And how do we best embrace community around this actual series? I started re researching ambassador programs and it was very branded and it didn't quite land with me. And I hit the thesaurus and I started thinking about other words and we landed on advocate. And I thought, you know what, this is this is what we want. We want people to stand up and advocate for this content. Um, and we want to ad advocate for theirs too. And our first model was, hey, um, become a TRO advocate, apply here, and in exchange, we'll give you a free course. And I sort of sat with that for a couple hours, and I said, you know what? Uh, a free course is great because then they get Muse, but it's not enough. It's not what we want. I want to profile them on the website, and I want to share their stuff on social media too. It's The first way wasn't community. It wasn't mutual, and it wasn't engaging. It was sort of this one-way street. So a really big thing for you then, and, and a really big suggestion you have for anybody out there trying to build community, is to really take a step back and make sure that you're considering the value you are offering your community members. So so I guess my question then is like, why isn't a course enough? I mean, I believe that Muse really helps people. I believe the education and they save, you know, they save money off that. Um, so like, what, what would you say to like, why is that not enough to actually help build a community? Because you don't have to care about the purpose of the remarkable ones or the content of the remarkable ones to want a free course. And those aren't the people we want um, sharing on social media how this film affected them because it won't be authentic. And the responses I got after I made an application form and I really asked those questions like, why do you want to do this? What, what does it mean to you? Were so cool. And then I got to learn about what they're doing and why it connected with them. And now I'm going to be able to share um, the things that they're doing with our community also and just build it that way. So you've got an application form. So you've got somebody who is, you know, or we've got somebody who's interested in supporting and they don't just get in right away. No. So what's the role of the application then? It's to filter out people who don't really believe in, who just want free stuff. But but what if, isn't there value even if, you know, so we've got 100 people who want free stuff and they're going to post it, you know, and they're going to post and share the series. Isn't that isn't that still valuable? It's valuable if your goal is just to share the series and just to spread it, but it's not valuable if your goal is to build community. Why? It comes back to the shared values and the shared interest. Um, having a bunch of people in there who are not aligned on that defeats the entire purpose of having a community because it dilutes it. They're not strengthened by that commonality. Uh, but the double-edged sword there in trying to build community, which is hard, is that people want there it to be existing in order for them to join it. Um, we were doing uh, some research lately for another project and and we asked about community, would you, would you go? And they said, yes, but are there going to be other people there? Will there be people in it already? I don't want to be in there by myself. Okay, so if we let the wrong people into a community, then it can get diluted and not really flourish. And if we don't have enough people in a community, then there's not enough communication to really keep people engaged and connected. So what does that mean for us in the, the advocate program? It means we need more people. It means we're stuck in this middle ground right now between not enough to start a Facebook group or something more formal where we can communicate really well and engage. Um, but we also don't want to just let everyone in because then we're back to square one. Um, so we need you. We need people who are passionate, who hear this to say, hey, I want to do that. And I also want your ideas. Like It doesn't have to stay how it is now. I want to capitalize on the strengths of the people in this community to use what you have to offer and share what you have to offer to others. You heard her folks. It's a long road ahead of us and we're excited for what lies ahead. But of course there will always be some anxiety that follows. Next up, we're gonna hear from three filmmakers who are all traveling down the same road. Each one of them has their own project that they wanna to bring to life. And as we talk to each one, we're gonna explore why it is they wanna create their own content, where that drive comes from and where they're at in the process. What's really cool is that we're gonna start from somebody who's got an idea but hasn't brought in anything to life yet into a filmmaker who's tried but hasn't really reached much success. And then another filmmaker who's actually successfully funded her own feature length documentary. 
Producing Remarkable is brought to you by Fix and Mix Audio. Sound is half of everything that's seen or felt in your story, yet so many of us still don't take the time to do it right. That's where Fix and Mix comes in. They offer a quick and simple process where you can upload your audio and have it professionally cleaned and mixed all at super affordable rates. Check them out at fixandmixaudio.com. I think there are a lot of things in the world that tell us that, you know, well, you should do this or shouldn't do that, or you, you know, are limited to this kind of realm. Uh, and that's something that, you know, I think when I became a father for the first time, that really, that really changed for me. Like many creatives that I've talked to, Brendan hadn't given much thought as to why he's compelled to chase the dream of creating his own content. When I first asked him, he claimed to be looking for freedom. But when I pushed a little bit harder, it became clear that there was a deeper motivation at work. There's that whole spectrum of I can do weddings and I can really be fulfilled or I can shoot commercial work and really not like it. But regardless of where you're on the spectrum, a lot of us really just want to create our own content and we want to tell our own stories and we have something bigger we want to say with that. And and so what is that for you? What is that driving factor? What is that impetus inside you that wants to create your own work as opposed to just um, get hired? I started out in print journalism um, because I thought that that was also a great way to be able to, to tell powerful stories for people. I like more kind of documentary uh, format, and I like just kind of diving into the real lives of, of real people. It's not so much wanting to tell my own stories, actually, because I, you know, I'm always looking to tell other people's stories. But I think the, uh, the you know... The good thing for me anyway about doing that versus, you know, if I'm at my day job and I'm, you know, telling a, a branded story, which I enjoy those too, um, but having the artistic freedom to, to you know, be able to go in a different direction and not necessarily have to worry about, you know, having to do something that a client wants, um, you know, that's really freeing. And you also, I mean, you just want to be true to yourself and true to the person that you're, you never want to feel like you're taking advantage of the person that you're featuring in what you're doing. And I think that can sometimes be a challenge because, you know, there are those moments in somebody's stories where, you know, it really tugs at your heartstrings and it's a, a great element of storytelling, but you have to kind of figure out how to tell it in the right way so it doesn't look like you're just trying to, you know, get those tears and make people emotional about it. Um, so I think, you know, that's just something that I've had to kind of work on throughout, you know, throughout all the different projects that I've, I've done in my, my spare time outside of, you know, my day job. I, I think that that comes back to, you know, one of the central ideas of Muse, which is taking the time to listen and clearly define your purpose. Um, and I think that that helps you sort through a lot of what you're talking about, right? Helps you figure out this idea of, you know, how do I, how do I create a strong connection with the viewer, and how do I use these really powerful things, but make sure that I'm not capitalizing, you know, or or um, sensationalizing or just leveraging things in the wrong way that doesn't Absolutely. actually achieve what it is I'm trying to say. And so that brings me then to wonder what what is your purpose. What is your driving purpose as a filmmaker? What is the the types of stories or what kind of is behind that? What are the kinds of things that you want to say as you look at making your own content? I like showing diversity um, and I like to tell um, stories of people that I just kind of see uh, an immense like inner strength in or just a, a great resolve. Um, things that I think we all question whether or not we have at times and wish we would be able to tap into more. I like telling stories that, um, that make people think, okay, that, you know, I can kind of see a way now that I can maybe be a little bit 
bolder or tap into that strength a little bit more that, you know, that I don't have to be limited by things as much, um, which is kind of, you know, one of the reasons why I started thinking about the the current project that I'm that I'm trying to launch. Okay, so let's dive into what is this project? What's it What's it called? What's the the idea behind it? So I don't actually, uh, so I don't actually have a name for it yet. I like I said, I'm ve- in the very early stages of it, but um, the the premise is basically it's a, a series similar to the remarkable ones that just focuses on women uh, that you know, for lack of a better term just kick ass you know in their professional lives and their personal lives kick ass uh, is quite a good term i don't i don't need know that you need to try and find a better term <laughs> women who are kicking ass is is amazing so i have two daughters i have a five-year-old and an 18 month old uh and my wife is uh a fifth grade teacher uh in an inner city school so um you know i have no shortage of awesome uh, female influences in my house. I wanted to create something that would would make them proud, uh, and that they could watch later on and and realize that they don't have any boundaries or limits that can be put on them by any anybody external of themselves. It's just something that I felt was was important to tell. But I also wanted to make sure that uh, it wasn't just a guy telling stories about women. So I've recruited uh, several friends. Uh, artists, photographers, people who are, you know, engineers, voiceover artists, all kinds of things to kind of act as producers and help behind the scenes and, um, you know, in organizing everything and crafting these stories and working with me so that um, there are women in front of and behind the camera. That's, that's a really powerful insight that I think a lot of us forget as we go to try and tell stories of different groups or different people and we sometimes, what well, we always bring our perspective and our paradigms and our cultural biases, and it can be so important to bring in people who actually share the perspective of the stories you're trying to tell, actually bring them inside the production so that you can make sure that your understanding of it is ringing true with the actual lived experience of those in your stories. And I applaud you on taking the time to step back and bring in people who can help add to that perspective and make sure that that story really rings true, not just for the people that view it but for the audiences in which you're you're really speaking about because we we so often miss that i think maybe it's just me trying to tell stories of the way i see the world today and the way i want to see the world tomorrow i think that you know when i look back at at any piece that i'm you know that that i'm doing it's I'm looking for those kind of those moments or those elements that um, that inspire, that make me want to do something or do something better or just be a, a better human being. Uh, and so, I think I think I have a much larger responsibility to myself than I realized before, um, because I think that you know doing the kind of storytelling that I'm trying to do is, you know, is paramount to, I guess, in some small way, as as cheesy as it may sound, but make the world a little bit better. Chasing Remarkable is brought to you by Sounds Right Transcription. We use their services to ensure that we pull the absolute best quotes from every interview we conduct. Sounds Right Transcription allows us to quickly review interviews as a team, even when some of us are working remotely. We can highlight the most impactful moments and easily organize them into a script for whatever piece we're working on, whether it be for video or even this podcast. And did I mention that each transcription is time-coded? As an editor for Muse, I can't overemphasize how much time this has saved me. Check them out at srtranscription.com.
Now, Brendan's a family man, and he's driven to do what he can in order to make the world a better place for his two daughters. And that's why he does what he does, to bring change to his community for the sake of his loved ones. And the next person you're going to hear from is Josh. Unlike Brendan, he's beginning to work on his own content, but he still has yet to make any progress towards funding it. So right now, it's just something that he does on nights and weekends. And when I asked him why he does what he does, why he decides to spend what little free time he has doing this work, he gave me an answer reminiscent of Brendan's. Although Josh says he's doing it in the name of personal freedom, I don't quite buy it. There's got to be something much bigger that lies underneath. I was raised in rural Indiana. Uh, I was taught to go to work and come home and be happy. Uh, but I never enjoyed that. I was never happy uh, working a nine to five, doing something that I wasn't passionate about. And so for me, passion was was being self-employed. It was being my own boss. And I tried a lot of different things that I thought might give me that fulfillment, whether that was selling life insurance or vacuum cleaners or... You actually sold life insurance and vacuum cleaners? I sold life insurance and vacuum cleaners. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry to, to have to tell you that about me, <laughs> but but I didn't want to work for the man. I wanted to to be my own boss. And so when my my father moved to Hawaii, um, it kind of gave me this opportunity to just get away from Indiana and also to to start a business with him, which was broadcasting weddings live over the internet. But after my father passed away unexpectedly, um, I kind of took a little pivot and started to focus more on the creative side. Having done the weddings for quite a long time, you know, you get to that point where you just want to create something else. And for me, it was one day while standing in line at Best Buy that I saw a uh, Blu-ray set of the documentary series Human Planet, which is a BBC produced documentary by the same folks who did Planet Earth. And I watched it and it just blew me away. It was everything in filmmaking that that I love. Um, and really right at that time, it just, I I just thought to myself, I want to do that. You know, I want to create something that's, that's original, something that expresses my passions and my interest. So what was was the idea you came up with? So the idea that I came up with was, it was a similar concept of human planet, which is amazing human beings doing incredible things, living in incredible ways. Uh, but focused solely in America. Uh, America is very diverse in in so many ways, geographically, um, you know, the diversity amongst the people that live here and so on. And so I wanted to create something like that. And so I came up with the idea called Being America, which would be, uh, you know, a a multi-part series and just highlighting, again, uh, incredible human beings who utilize their landscapes to, uh, to make the world a better place, essentially. So the next step I did was I, I moved. <laughs> I, I left Hawaii. Uh, I traveled for about eight months across the United States just to capture footage. Because in my mind, I thought, well, if I'm going to make this documentary, I'm going to have to at least create a short trailer to pitch this. I literally just left the island. You know, I, I had my Jeep shipped out from Hawaii, got it, picked it up in Long Beach, and literally hit the road. And I was homeless for seven months. I did not have a place to live. I just crashed at anybody's house that I knew in whatever city or state that I might've been in at that time. Um, and quite honestly, it was, it was amazing. I just went across the country and I was gathering all this footage and thinking, you know, if I can just capture all these amazing, you know, all this amazing footage and time lapses and et cetera, that'll be enough to, uh, have someone hopefully pick it up. But you know, quite honestly, I, I didn't really know what I was doing. I just was doing what I thought would be right. Okay, so now you've got a trailer. You, uh, I'm assuming you get a home again and you find a place to live <laughs> and you're, you know, what's going on in your head about how you're actually going to, you know, make this? Are, are you thinking that you're going to fund it yourself? Are you thinking Kickstarter? Are you thinking you're going to get somebody else to invest in it? Like, where's your head at as you get off that trip and you've got all this footage in the bank? For the first, I would say probably six to twelve months after I returned, it was sort of a juggle between managing the business, uh, taking the footage that I had, putting it together, and then you know seeking other people to possibly invest or uh, trying to you know talk to Netflix or talk to National Geographic or whatever whatever person that I could talk to to see if this is something that they might be interested in. 
you know, nobody's listening. Nobody's really, you know, Hey, I've got this great idea, you know, and, and I feel like everybody should be excited about it, but, uh, you know, I'm not getting that same excitement in return. And so it was, it was kind of, it basically kind of hit a brick wall. I randomly met a, 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 uh, woman, uh, a couple about a year and a half ago, uh, at a, at a restaurant. She told me she was a producer. We stayed in touch for about a year. Um, she does, she worked for several smaller networks, uh, and then she posted on Facebook one day that she wanted to know if anyone had any cool ideas for t- some television shows. I gave her my idea. She really loved it. And she had worked with Discovery Channel on some projects in the past. And so she introduced me to someone at Discovery Channel. And that was how I met uh, Discovery. Uh, and then, you know, we met and we sat down. We had a beer. Did you pitch him? Like, was it a pitch? Were you like nervous? Like going into that meeting, you're actually sitting down with a network. You've traveled around the country for seven months. You know, you've got a lot on the line here. Like what, how were you actually feeling as you walked into that? And what did you prepared and what was your game plan? We met in, in LA at a restaurant and I I was very nervous to the point where I even had sat down at one table and decided this is not the right table. I need to move over to this table because this is a better table to sit at for a long-term conversation. So, you know, there were things like that running through my head, just, you know, palms are sweaty and, you know, the, the thought of, you know, this has been this many years in the, in, you know, two years in the making now. And I'm, I'm really excited to do this. You know, I'm really hoping that this is the moment, you know, and, you know, I've, I really felt prepared to, to meet with him. Um, very confident, did my visualizations, my, you know, all the meditations, everything to, to be in the right state of mind. Um, however, discovery channel is more a reality TV kind of network. And, and, you know, he just, you know, said at this time, it's just not something that they're, they're wanting to do. So you leave that, you're probably feeling a little dejected. <laughs> well, how do you, how do you kind of pick yourself up from that? And then what's the, what's the second big meeting that comes to mind? Yeah. You know, I felt a little dejected and, and just to give you a, you know, kind of a, a bigger perspective, the, what I'm wanting to produce is a six part series. This is a multi, multi million dollar, uh, documentary series that I'm wanting to put together um, as someone who's never done this before, essentially. So, you know, I'm, I'm confident enough in myself with that to believe that that I can still get it done. However, what I've realized is if you are me on paper and someone looks at you on paper, they're going to kind of have doubts as to whether or not that's something that they're willing to produce. So... So I actually got some really good advice from one of the executive producers of Chef's Table, uh, who, which is a documentary series on Netflix, really highly uh, acclaimed series. And I just emailed him out of the blue uh, just uh, just to ask him some questions and also to, sh- to, to show him what I wanted to do. And he gave me some really great advice, which was that he loved my, he loved my idea and what I was looking to do. But he thought that maybe I should produce something a little smaller, that maybe producing a six-part documentary, multi-million dollar series might not be the first step that someone like me should take, that I shouldn't necessarily give up on my idea, but to think about what could I do that would be smaller on a smaller scale that would that I could possibly even produce on my own um, and then go from there. So that was where... I came up with my second idea for the series, which is called Hidden Hawaii. Uh, and that's something that's essentially the same as being America, but would be a one episode uh, production. And so how do you how do you hope to bring that to life? And, and what's your kind of funding plan, timeline? Where, where are you at with actually making that happen? Hawaii is a very special place to people that live there. Many people would love to be able to highlight certain aspects of their island that they believe need to have that recognition. And so one of the things that I'm currently considering is reaching out to these different, you know, indigenous groups or environmental groups to see if that's something that they might be interested in sponsoring or supporting in some way. You know, I, I think sometimes we get so caught up in just, you know, you've got to pitch it to Netflix or you got to self fund it, or you've got to find a private investor, um, you know, there's so many other ways of getting a film created that, you know, I, I hadn't even thought about before. Well, we certainly hope that uh, you can bring it to life and that you'll come back on here uh, 
when it's ready to debut and you'll share it with everybody and we can share it with the community. It's this kind of back and forth conversation that really is what makes community so powerful. Absolutely. Givers gain, man. If everyone's out just trying to give and to everyone else, then nobody's is lacking, you know, and that's kind of what we try to do. We try, we try to give back as much as possible and whatever realm we can. And, um, you're right. I mean, the community that, that I've been so fortunate and blessed with to, to have in Hawaii, I mean, they're the ones that's going to help make this dream come true. I learned even on the trip, how powerful my, my just general community was. I had met so many people in Hawaii that had displaced to other parts of the country. And I had a place to stay free every single night of my entire trip, uh, over six months. You know, I don't think most people could probably travel for six months and have a, a home to stay at for free every night. Um, so I really learned to be adaptable, really learned to be able to ask people things, you know, ask of people, which a lot of times it's, you know, I've, I've, I'm very self-dependent, you know, very independent, don't like to rely on anyone else. Um, and I learned that it's okay to, to, to be reliant on other people, to ask other people for favors. I think just taking that first step was was what I learned, that having the faith and and even if it didn't result in getting something produced right away or, you know, having it picked up, that that was that was the experience, that that was the lesson. I'm still 100% committed. I still have so much more to learn that this process is nothing like what I thought it would be and that it's probably not going to be what I thought it would be from this point forward either. So, you know, I just think that learning, learning the, the process and learning what it takes to actually get something made and produced, uh, you know, that's, that's been a lesson in and of itself. This episode of Chasing Remarkable is brought to you by Rode Microphones. As a small production team aiming for big results, we use Rode Boom Poles, the NTG4 Plus Shotgun, and on-camera audio to bring each episode of The Remarkable Ones to life. Rode helps us get powerful sound for our series. We're even using their podcaster microphone right now. I just think that like there sh there should be a purpose behind all this time you're spending and the many many hours on set and the time away from my kids. I mean, I think that's a big thing too is having two young kids. Like I really want to make sure the time I'm spending not with them is really purposeful and has meaning and has and has a point. So far we've talked to two filmmakers who have obviously got the passion the drive to tell stories that can make an impact. But they haven't yet rounded all the bases. Our final guest, Maribeth, is a filmmaker who's done it all. She's a queen of production and has a great success in funding her own projects. Like, what I know about you uh -huh. is that you've got a hell of a lot that you want to say. I think I'm drawn to telling stories that connect people, like... Uh and inspire people. In fact, I think that's what I always find the through line of what I'm trying to pursue is I want to like tell a story that can have like an aha either between like an understanding between people or saying I can do that and it's an empowering piece. Now, what's really cool is Maribeth actually helped produce Dave Jacka, which is our very first pilot for The Remarkable Ones. Mm -hmm. And so I was going to make a joke about how you should check out the series and it's exactly what you're talking about. And then I was like, <laughs> actually, you did check out the series because you helped make it. <laughs> yeah, that was a fun adventure uh, for sure because I produced that entirely like over Skype basically, <laughs> which um, which can be done. But um, I loved your challenge. You, were, you told me, you I think you texted me and you're like, hey, I'm going to be in Melbourne for like two days 
find me a great story to tell. No, it was no, no. I think you said like an epic story to tell, and it was like you know a week away, <laughs> and um, I don't know. I just kind of went down the research wormhole of like who are who are amazing people there that we could get to and and tell their story. And I found Dave and I, I think he was the first one I texted you about. And I'm like, I think this is it. And you're like, don't give me the first one. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> give me more than that. I'm like, okay, I've got others, but I'm pretty sure he's it. So, um, yeah, so I had a Skype call with him first before you talked to him. And he was just so, I mean, talk about empowerment and inspiration. Like he is that, that's his life and what he lives. And what's yeah. really different um, from a lot of the people we've talked to, is that you actually, you've created a scripted piece. And so what was that called and what was, what's kind of the, the general idea behind that film? Sure. So Dragonfly is a story about a mom and a daughter. Uh, the mother has early onset Alzheimer's and they have a bit of a challenged relationship. It came about honestly, like I think a year after I had really made my first terrible film and so my friend, who's an actor and a writer, said, I really want to make films, but I don't know how. And I had been like hustling for a year trying to figure it out, too. And I said, well, maybe I can help. It was literally like a Facebook exchange. And so she actually started writing the script that spring. And we started kind of like assembling what would be our crew. And and um, as she wrote it, she was like, Ugh, this is bigger than I thought. I think it's bigger. And we didn't know any better because we had never done anything this big. And so we just kept saying yes. And so did the people around us. And before we knew it, July, we were on set with like a crew of like 30 people shooting this film. And um, yeah, it was a wild ride and a wild adventure. I mean, and I never went to film school. So the only way I could really learn was doing. And for a year, I was learning by doing by myself. But it was really exciting to like get together with a team and a crew and be able to do more, even though I kind of had no idea what I was doing. How long was the finished film? What was kind of your projected budget? And how did you approach fundraising it because you you didn't fund this yourself no we didn't at all um so we brought on a producer who is a friend of mine that is like a local commercial producer so she had a little bit better idea of a, a budget for what this might take and so we mapped out you know we took the script and we broke it down into days and we broke that down into what that looked like budget wise and so we we knew what we had to raise uh, from a kickstarter we had a little bit of like private investment from from a few people that to kind of get us basically to get us off the ground for the first two weeks of production so that we could so that we could we could get on set before we had to do the Kickstarter, which I think actually was huge because we we got on set for two weeks. We shot a lot of the film and then we took a big break for a month and we ran the Kickstarter. And so because of that, we had good BTS. We ha we were doing it. It wasn't like just a dream. Please help us with our dream. It was like, come on board, join us for this. Let's do this together. Help us finish the film. So it was a really different message than like, I really wish I could do this. Will you give me some money? It was like, hey, join us. This is so much fun. Look how much fun this is. Join us. What? Well, so what? What was um, the actual budget? Private funding was about twenty five thousand. Uh, and then we set out to raise 45 on Kickstarter and uh, we raised 55, which is great because everything costs more than you think it will. It was a roughly a hundred thousand dollar film. And how long is the, the finished film? So if we got a hundred thousand dollar budget, roughly how long's uh, the finished movie? It is 72 minutes, including credits. That's pretty reasonable. And, and it's a huge insight if you're out there looking to do Kickstarter is that having something to show and getting people to kind of support you in finishing it is so much stronger mm -hmm. than kind of going, Hey, I just have a dream. Can you help me start it? Yeah, totally. Cause like I said, I think it's a different message. It's a different message to who you're asking. Um, you know, that, uh, that you're saying, join us. We're already doing this. Come join us. And it doesn't have to be as massive as I said, where you're on set for two weeks with 40 people, like you could, you could go and film like a little mini trailer for your idea. And it may not even be what you put in the, your finished film, but if you can show what you want to do, it's going to be so much easier to not, it, it's not easy. Let me tell you that Kickstarter is not easy, but like, it's going to just be an, it's going to be a stronger ask to the people that you want to join you. You know, so you, you get this idea of Dragonfly, it turns into a feature. You now know that you need some support. You've got this, you know, 
connection to the piece. You've got your local team. So you tell the story, you put some clips up there, and then 30 days later, you got 55 grand, right? Yeah. Well, no, it was not that simple. (laughs) I mean, I think it helped that I had two producing partners and we were really like a tripod and we were all working really hard on it together. And um, we were asking and reaching out to, you know, pretty much everyone you've ever met. Um, But like not in like a blast email way, in like a very personal way, like individual emails, like, hey, I saw you went to South Carolina on vacation. How is your newborn? And and really making it personal because that's important. It means that you're, you know, you're, you're, you're looking into their life and saying, I see what's important to you. And I'm going to tell you what's important to me right now. And I hope that you'll join me. I might be reaching out to like a friend from high school that I hadn't talked to in quite a while, but we keep up on Facebook. And so I could see that she had another baby and I might, you know, connect her experience in life that I can see she's going through to the fact that I'm going to be making a film about a mom and a daughter. It's connecting what you're going to do and why the story that you are telling has meaning to them. Each of us sent, I think it, if I remember right, it was like 15 personal emails per day to people. Uh, it's deeply personal that wasn't just like quick form emails. So there, there were 45 emails going out every day for 30 days to help raise, you know, all that money. So it, it, it's a lot of work. Hear that, please, friends. 45 emails a day, each one personally written for 30 <laughs> days in order to raise the $55,000 exceeding your goal. But I think a lot of people really don't get that. And I, you know, I was hanging out with one of my friends and he had a really great idea he wanted to bring to life. Oh, and it kind of go. felt like a, we'll put it on Kickstarter, people will fall in love and, and we'll get the funding there. And And what would you say to somebody who kind of has that idea that, it's going to be hard, but you know, yeah. if the idea is good, people are going to gravitate towards it and we'll get it funded. Absolutely not. You have to treat it like it's a job. So you have to, you have to set metrics. You have to set goals. You have to say, we're, we are all vowing that we're going to do this every day for 30 days. And it gets old. It gets tiring. You get really tired of it, but that's the way you're going to find the money to make your film. So it keeps you going along. Um, and actually when you break it down like that, when you say, okay, we're going to send 15 really super personal emails a day, it, it's tangible. You could see it translate immediately. You'd send the emails out that morning and that day, those people, not all of them, but a lot of them would donate. So, um, I think that treating it like a job is really important. I mean, fundraising is a job. It's part of your job. It's part of your job as a filmmaker, whether you're doing it through Kickstarter or you're getting some benefactor to, you know, support your film in some way. Uh, that's a skill and part of part of the job too. Um, and it takes a lot of practice. It takes a lot of practice to get good at it. One of the big things we talked about in the idea of building community is that it's a symbiotic relationship. It is an exchange of value. It's not me saying, can you just come and support my Kickstarter? Can you just help me? Mm-hmm. It's how can I also help you? And I think it's really important to note that, that you said getting people to trade where they might help you and you'll help them, which is so different mm-hmm. than will you help me for free? Yo, it's massively different. I mean, because then they're invested in your work and you are in them. And it, that is actually what you know, building community is all about. It's about saying, I support you and you support me. We support each other. Do you have any insight for everybody out there listening who is looking at creating their first thing, whether it's a web series, it's a documentary, it's a short, whether it's a narrative, you know, regardless of that, what is your learning around, do I do a Kickstarter? Do I try and do private financing? Or do I find a way to just fund this thing myself so I can start? Because you've tried and you've done all of those successfully. So where do you suggest somebody starts if they're looking to create and tell their own stories? You have to like put it out there and have accountability. So you have to like say it on Facebook or wherever you want to say it. You have to say, I want to do this. And you have to say it confidently. And I think that that is the biggest first step. Like, and not just say, I want to do this. Let me rephrase that. I'm going to do this. And that's a different, that is a really different message actually. But I think if you say that, like, I'm going to make a short film in August. Well, you got a bunch of people being like, Hey, how's that short film? What's happening? (laughs) And I mean, that's, that's an important piece. So I think if, if you're struggling with how to take the first step, I think you need to say that you're going to do it. And, you know, the worst thing that's going to happen is that you don't do it. And then you have to explain to people why you didn't. 
But I think that accountability thing and an accountability to the people around you that you care about. I mean, hey, right, that's your community, huh? Um, like that's important. It's important to put it out there and say, I not not just I want to do this. I'm going to do this. We talked to three filmmakers, and what's so fascinating is that when you dive into why it is they want to tell their own stories, a lot of times people aren't really ready with the answer when you first start talking about it. And it's only upon a deeper reflection that we really come to what this is about for us. Yet, when we take the time to actually think about it, we can get far more clarity, and therefore we're actually going to be able to take actions that get us there much, much quicker. What's so powerful is that you can actually bring these insights together and you can see how all of the ideas kind of echo each other. You know, and so as we talked to Brendan, it became so clear that, you know, there is something that he really wants to say and he didn't even realize it at first. He thought it was about freedom. He thought it was about telling other people's stories, but he really has something that he wants to say for himself that he believes in and actually connecting to that is gonna allow him to make better content. As we talked to Josh, he really shared the power of taking action, of just getting in your Jeep and spending two months on the road and just creating something. Because when you start, it might not lead you to where you wanna go, but it's gonna be a step in the right direction. And for him, that was getting a sizzle reel, but it was also getting calls with people from Netflix and other networks that then gave him directions of where he could go next. It's that old idea that failure is a step towards success and that it takes nine failures to reach success. And then as we talked to Maribeth, she spoke about the incredible power of gaining accountability, of putting it out there exactly what you're going to do and sharing it with your friends, sharing it with your community. She mentioned Facebook and just sharing, this is what I wanna do, this is when I'm gonna do it by, and how that helps. So together, what I hope you really get from this is that there's so much power in taking the time to really think about what kind of content you want to create and why that is. What is that deeper motivation? Because it's more than just creative freedom. Really getting clarity on that purpose is, is so huge. I know it has been in my own journey and really figuring out what my filmmaking is about and why it is that we teach and educate and all of that. When you tap into that, it gives you so much more motivation. And on our next episode of The Remarkable Ones, it was the biggest struggle of Chris Darwin's life. It was a lack of purpose that actually led him to attempt suicide. And it was in him finding his purpose that he's now trying to really, literally, change the world with an app that he's developed. And so check out the episode this week. Share your thoughts. And if you really connect with the story, then check out the app and join our team. And let's see what we can do as a community to really create an impact. And that's it, folks. That's our third podcast, our third episode of Chasing Remarkable. As always, this is a work in progress, so share what you're really connecting with and what you want to hear more of. This is Patrick, and thanks for joining us. Chasing Remarkable is brought to you by the team at Muse Storytelling. Our host, Patrick Moreau, produced by Susie Alarcon, and edited by Richard Percy. <laughs>